I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Levin. I'm a grief therapist and the founder of From Grief to Growth, the host of the podcast Untethered, Healing the Pain from a Sudden Death, and I'm the creator and author of the Growing After Traumatic Loss course. I provide support, guidance, and teachings to help you with the aftermath of chaos, trauma, and grief. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Untethered, Healing the Pain from a Sudden Death. I'm Dr. Jennifer Levin, and I specialize in traumatic death and helping individuals through the struggles, pain, trauma, and chaos of an unexpected death. In today's podcast, I'm sharing an interview that I participated in with the EFT Tapping Training Institute in collaboration with Suzanne Fagel and Dr. Craig Wiener from Tapping Out of Trauma Continuing Education Seminars called Using EFT Tapping for Traumatic Grief. EFT stands for the Emotional Freedom Techniques. EFT today is commonly referred to as tapping and involves a gentle tapping of the fingertips on the skin. EFT is a form of psychological acupressure based on the same energy Meridian used in traditional acupuncture used to treat physical and emotional problems for over 5,000 years, but without any of the needles. Instead, it allows an individual to simply tap using their fingertips to apply energy onto specific meridians on the head and chest while thinking about specific problems or struggles. EFT can be used in a variety of circumstances and is often used to change negative feelings, reduce self-limiting beliefs or distress, change or modify repetitive unwanted behaviors, and is even effective for working with and resolving traumatic memories, or in this case, grief. It is also commonly used to create positive emotional states, help an individual achieve desired goals, and attain higher states of health, well-being, and resilience. In today's podcast, I am providing information for EFT practitioners who might encounter clients who are living with traumatic grief so that they will be better prepared to respond to the needs of individuals who have experienced an unexpected death. However, this podcast also provides a great review of some of the foundational concepts related to living with a sudden and unexpected death. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. This is a biannual Tapping Out a Trauma webinar series on all kinds of aspects regarding trauma and working with trauma. And uh, we have a really special guest today that I'd like to invite. And of course, Suzanne Fagel is my partner. Hey folks. <laughs> and um, and new to um, probably all of you will be uh, Jennifer, Dr. Jennifer Levin. And Dr. Levin, um, Jennifer specializes in working with adolescents and teens and adults, and especially ones that are experiencing traumatic grief. And that's gonna really be the topic of our discussion today. Um, 
traumatic grief and the sudden loss associated with that. In 2000, Jennifer received her doctorate from UCLA School of Public Health, her master's in clinical psych from Pepperdine. Uh, she's a recognized fellow in something called thanatology, right? That's the study of death and dying and bereavement. Um, she served as executive director of hospice in Pasadena. She's taught at several California universities. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist in both California and here in Washington on Whidbey Island. This is actually the first time that we've had myself and Suzanne and a guest all from Whidbey Island, maybe second, but anyway, it's pretty rare. She specializes in working with uh, clients that are living with chronic and terminal illness and sudden death, and of course, post-traumatic growth, which everybody should be well aware of here. In 2018, she launched her online program from grief to growth, as well as growing after traumatic loss. It's an online self-help course for individuals living with a sudden unexpected loss. She's also the host of a podcast called Untethered, Healing the Pain from Sudden Death. So, you know, after all that, I think that you are duly qualified to be talking about trauma and loss and grief. And so welcome, Jennifer, it's great to have you here. Thank you, I'm very excited to be here with you both today. Yeah, thanks. thanks. So Jennifer, I'm gonna start the ball rolling by asking you, Clearly, you were drawn professionally to work with those dealing with death and grief. We're intrigued by what drew you specifically into the world of traumatic grief. If you'd tell us a little bit about that journey. Sure, absolutely. Well, I actually think um, this population found me. Um, like you said, I was in um, grief and, and loss and um, I had a long history in end of life care. And all of a sudden, I just had this influx of clients who had experienced these traumatic and sudden losses. And most of them were pretty young in their 20s, 30s, and, and 40s. And they had uh, loved ones, you know, husbands, uh, wives, partners, um, close family members who died in a really traumatic way. And um, at that time, I was seeing everyone in person, this was long before COVID, and there were really um, no resources for them. And there were no resources that really combined both how to live and address with the trauma that they were experiencing and the grief. And so I just saw this huge need and started to develop a, a program or a combination of services that both um, did trauma and grief. And I remember probably about seven years ago, I launched my very first um, traumatic grief um, therapy group and um, it filled right away. And that was kind of the beginning of it. Okay. And that makes sense. And I think many of the people here listening have found themselves drawn to call to, you know, this is what's showing up for me. So I guess I'll follow that. So mm -hmm. I, I love that. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm wondering to just set a foundation here, um, because I think sometimes, you know, those that aren't experiencing grief, like grief is grief, but grief is not just grief. There's many different times, types of that. Mm -hmm. So maybe you could just start off um, beginning with describing for us different, some different types of grief, um, especially ones that you work with, and, and maybe a little bit more about what makes um, traumatic grief, the, the relationship to that distinct from some of the others, and, and just begin maybe laying the, um, the groundwork for this discussion. 
Sure. I remember the first time I went to a grief training and there was a slide of all the different types of grief and there must have been like 20 of them that I was like, oh my goodness, I had no idea. Um, and so if I can just give you three different categories right now. So there's um, anticipatory grief, which is like when you're watching somebody die and there's all these mini deaths that you experience as somebody is preparing to die. So caregivers are going through that um, as you're anticipating the loss. And then there is an expected loss when we know somebody is dying no excuse me yeah an, an expected loss um someone's dying for cancer uh, heart disease um pulmonary problems whatever so we expect that it's going to happen and then there is an unexpected or a sudden death uh or a traumatic loss which is i do okay so if you think about those as the three general types of grief and then there are things now that you see like uh, prolonged grief disorder, which is actually brand new in the DSM. I'll talk a little bit more about that uh, later on. And there's things like cumulative grief where you have loss after loss after loss. There's things like ambiguous grief where you get no emotional closure. Um, there's things like disenfranchised grief where your grief isn't recognized by other people. So let's say um, you're in a relationship um, with someone, maybe you're not married, um, the, the partner dies, the family comes in, swoops in from out of town, doesn't acknowledge you at all, yeah. and you get none of the benefits of being acknowledged as the partner or the rights by society um, as being the partner. Um, and so you have what's called disenfranchised grief. So there's all these different types of grief. But today we're really talking about um, traumatic grief. Right. Um, traumatic grief happens when somebody dies in a sudden or unexpected way, but it's in a traumatic way. And so most of my clients have experienced death of a loved one um, by suicide, by homicide, by a, a substance abuse, um, a substance problem, uh, alcohol or um, overdose, um, a medical crisis. One moment they're okay, and then the next minute, you know, something happened, and they're not. Um, a natural disaster. COVID certainly fell under uh, that, especially the circumstances of not being able to say goodbye. Right. But what makes uh, a traumatic death so different is on. Um, you know, you're not able to say goodbye. Um, oftentimes it's very violent to the individual who dies. Um, the individual, the loved one who's left behind, many times they're at risk or could have been in harm's way. They witnessed it themselves or they came home or to uh, an event and saw what happened or they found out in a bad way. Um, it's usually untimely. In many cases, it could have been prevented. So then you get all of these, I should have, I could have, I would have, or what if. Um, there's a tremendous amount of uncertainty, um, unanswered questions, which just gets the mind going in so many ways um, with rumination and wondering. Um, so there's so many different factors that happened. 
Um, and um, so clients are experiencing um, things like hypervigilance, always on alert, constantly of, you know, what's going to happen next, waiting for the other shoe to drop. Um, I talked about ruminations, uh, flashbacks very often. Uh, there's huge dysregulation of emotions that come with um, a traumatic loss um, and traumatic grief. Um, and then we haven't even talked about grieving the loss of the loved one because there's so much trauma that many of the clients or the people that I work with and uh, the uh, individuals that are listening to the podcast or that you're training that um, would be working in the field of traumatic grief as well, that um, it's like mental gymnastics that is going on in the mind that you've got to be able to tame before we can even get to the grief and processing what has happened because it's just so surreal, especially in the early stages. So I don't know if that's the brief snapshot you're looking for there. Suzanne, you that's need to- good. And along with that, um, it, it seems that um, one of the possibilities that people can get caught up in is um, depression. And so like, how would you distinguish grief from depression? Yeah, it's a really great question um, because in the beginning, um, so you've got the trauma, which is usually a heightened state and uh, resembles more of an anxiety state. And I mentioned the dysregulated emotions. So you go from this intense anxiety to this real, real low, um, which can look a lot like depression. And so you get things, especially early on, that really mirror depression. You get things like a withdrawal and an isolation and wanting to be on your own um, and a disconnection from the world, not wanting to participate in anything. You get issues with, you know, not sleeping right, not eating right, uh, loss of pleasure in any activities. And those are all things that mirror depression. And if you look at the DSM, it's asking you, um, you know, in the last two weeks, have you experienced any of these symptoms, which are going to say, uh, yes. And so it's going to mirror very, very much the sadness, uh, loss of pleasure, turning within, changing in daily activities, sleep, decrease in um, appetite, increase in appetite, things like that. But where you get a difference in depression is that when an individual is grieving, there's going to be intermittent breaks where they're going to be able to reminisce. They're going to be able to laugh about, oh, yeah, I remember that time. Now, in traumatic grief, sometimes it it doesn't happen immediately in those acute stages. There's like that shock and, and numbness and um, just like, I, can't, I don't even know what the side is up, but you know, you are able, the, uh, the loss of um, self-esteem usually isn't present that you would see in um, depression. Um, you're still able to connect and um, you know, engage with other people, which people with depression aren't able to do as well. Um, you know, a lot of times initially, some of my clients aren't functional. They aren't able to get out of bed. 
just feels like, you know, life is over for them. So it does look like depression early on, but there are still moments when they're able to connect to some of those good memories or look at earlier pictures in life. People have a really hard time looking at the pictures that are yesterday or when, you know, their loved one looks like their loved one. But you can go back to some of those earlier things where someone who's depressed, they can't see anything and smile. And again, that's more in the severe depression. Um, but they can usually still reminisce about the good times that happened with grief. I'm wondering, um, thank you for that. And, and I'm also wondering about the triggers. You, you started to kind of hint into that. And for somebody, I mean, I almost want to back up for a second. Of course, people yeah. always like think about how long should they grieve for? What's the right amount of time? Does grief last for a month or a year or a lifetime with that? I'm wondering, so maybe in this, you can talk about both the timing of grieving with traumatic grief and also um, trigger, because even if it kind of comes down, then there are other things that are going to make, it's not just done necessarily. Yeah. So maybe you could talk about timing um, with triggers and duration and some of those things. Yeah. Well, most people will tell you um, that, um, especially in a traumatic grief, that it doesn't end, that it lasts forever. And a lot of people will tell you that with regular grief. I mean, it's not something you ever really, how do you get over the loss of somebody you love? And, um, you know, the goals in terms of grief therapy when I'm working with a client is like integration and being able to hold your loved one in such a space that you can continue to move forward with your life. You never move on. You never completely heal. And I'll get to, to your question, but just so you know what that looks like. Um, but most people will say it's a lifelong sentence. And I don't say that to be negative, but to be um, what's realistic. Are you in the acute pain forever? Absolutely not. And I find myself saying things like, it's not always going to feel this intense. You're not always going to be in this place. It does get better. It gets so much more manageable. It changes. It evolves. Now, um, there are triggers. And over time, the triggers lessen. There is more time in between them. And you get more skilled at handling them. So a trigger is any event that just sets you off. You know, it just sets off your grief. And there are, are I like to categorize them into two different types. There's both expected, like, oh my goodness, my loved one's birthday is tomorrow. Our anniversary is this. Um, our special day, we just went through the holiday season. That was a trigger. So the expected triggers are things that you know, this is going to be hard for me. Um, and we spend so much time anticipating these expected triggers. People get really, really, really nervous. The good news is usually there's a lot of relief after those expected triggers are done. The hardest ones are the unexpected trigger, triggers. Like when you're um, driving in a car and you pass a billboard that reminds you of something 
or you walk into the market and they're playing your favorite song or your loved one's favorite song that evokes these memories. So there's expected and unexpected. The unexpected, there's no anticipation for, but the fallback is usually harder to recover from uh, versus there's lots of anticipation for the expected, but usually when it's over, you feel so much better. So, um, but like I said, the unexpected, um, they could just be sense, a smell, um, anything that just evokes a powerful memory for you. So, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So I've heard this term and what, I'm wondering if you could tell us what is a grief attack and maybe you could give us an example of what that. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So a grief attack can be um, look a lot like what happens after you experience a trigger, um, but it doesn't take a trigger to have a grief attack. And let me elaborate a little bit more. So you can just be in the market um, and um, or at home or out with friends, and then out of nowhere, just this huge and um, a lot of clients describe it as this tsunami, this wave, this intense feeling of grief just overcomes you out of nowhere. And it shows up differently for everybody, depending on how they experience emotions. It may look like panic for some people, like they're having a panic attack. For other people, it's a, a wave of just emotions and, and crying, um, a huge wave of sadness, but it's this huge experience of grief emotions. And when you work with your uh, client, it's knowing how they express their emotions. Like what does grief look like for you? And it's that on steroids would be a grief attack. And again, it can be either a trigger that causes it or nothing, but it's a grief attack of just huge grief emotions. Um, I think for some of my clients who get really, really anxious and experience these dysregulated emotions during a grief attack, um, an example I have for them or a coping tool that works really well is a frozen orange, um, is to go into the uh, freezer, grab an orange, hold it, focus on the cold, the texture, um, feeling it, thinking about it, getting out of your head um, and the emotions and just using the, the weight of the orange, the cold, just to help calm down, focus on the breathing. Obviously, with tapping, you would use a very different skill. Um, the same goal being to get through the emotions that you're experiencing at that particular moment. Well, I just want to say not necessarily, because okay. if somebody is that um, dysregulated, um, we also have other ways of saying, you know, before you get, get them back into a regulated state. So I like adding frozen orange as an option. Okay. Thanks. Yes. Uh, yeah. I, I was, I used to joke with people. I do not have, get a kickback from Dole, the uh, fruit company, because I think half of uh, my clients now have a uh, freezer full of oranges. So it's a great technique. And, 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 and I like that idea of orange or whatever is going to work for that person to yes. regulate them and bring them present in the moment. Yes. Right. I, yeah. You know, it's not a point to go deeply into the experiencing all the emotions in that moment 
and I don't want to say it's necessarily to distract, but distraction sometimes is useful. Mm -hmm. Simply tapping silently to just start to bring in a more dorsal vagal response to be able yeah. to do the, excuse me, a more ventral vagal response so that we can start to find a way to regulate our system, whatever works for you and give, give our clients a variety of options. So yes, that's yes. important. So basically, you know, I, I think of it as a, a panic attack that's grief driven. Yes, absolutely. You know, that people might relate to that way. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Or a grounding exercise with your senses, whatever you need to do to bring yourself to Dan Siegel's term back into the uh, window of tolerance. Right, exactly. Yeah. So I like to look at um, patterns without them being um, stereotypical, mm -hmm. but yet they're still patterns. Mm -hmm. right? So so I'm just wondering if we could explore as, as a, you know, we'll look more from the kind of practitioner side, but for a moment, as we look through the idea of what are the patterns that we might start to recognize somebody that isn't I don't want to say grief informed. They don't have a lot of background specifically in grief, but but they have seen, let's say, a number of clients that have had traumatic loss or for themselves or in their clients. And I'm wondering about some of the patterns that we might see about either return toward normalcy, stages that, you know, I'm not going to say, you know, I don't know if you want to address the Kuva Ross stages and how that's evolved, but however you want to look at the patterns that people could see and maybe to normalize some of those patterns for them? Sure. I think the first biggest pattern that I see is um, a, a lack of safety or fear that clients experience in the world that something else is going to happen again to them or their loved ones. And um, actually in one of my podcast episodes, I talk about the theory of shattered assumptions um, by um, Ronnie uh, Janeth Bullman. And this is a fantastic theory uh, that we have, according to her, there's uh, three or four tenants um, that we build our life around, that we live in this um, world that is predictable and a very safe world. Uh, we work hard, we're gonna be rewarded. Um, and she just explains it beautifully. Then when you experience a traumatic event, this is shattered and your world is no longer a safe place. And that's what happens after a sudden loss. And so I have clients that are feared to drive, to leave their house, who become helicopter parents, who panic when their kids don't call or their loved ones don't answer the phone. And so that's the first pattern I see is this huge hypervigilance, waiting for the other shoe to drop. The world is no longer safe. Um, I worked it on an exercise with some of my clients. What are your hopes for 2023? Why should I hope for anything? Because um, it's just going to get taken away from me. So I think that's the first big pattern. Why bother? You know? So that's the first thing that I see. Um, the second thing, theme that I see that goes through is um, nobody understands what I'm going through. And that is because my loss is so different. So uh, clients will say, if some one more person says, yeah, I know what you mean. My grandma died last year. You know, they came home and they found their loved one, you know, had taken their life, had had a medical crisis, uh, was, you know, a victim of a homicide. And it's compared to grandma who died peacefully in their sleep. 
they just, they feel so misunderstood that, and then kind of connected to that is they feel like people don't want to talk about it or I rephrase it as they don't know how to talk about it. So um, their pain's not understood and um, they don't know how to talk about it. And so um, to help um, listeners, just being able to sit and witness it, hear it and validate it is such a powerful, powerful tool. Um, we can't, that's such a gift that we can give to people is to be able to hold that space because um, not a lot of people can. So a uh, huge pattern. And then I think the third thing that I see so often is clients desire, and I even would say need to hold on to their pain or grief as a way to remain connected to their loved ones. And the fear, wait a minute, if I experience pleasure or joy, if I start to feel better, I'm losing my connection or it's not fair because of my what happened to my loved one. And so I look at my work at that time as helping people find a way to uh, develop a continual bond, which is a big uh, work right now, or it's, it's been around since the 90, the theories of continuing bonds, strengthen their bond with their loved one in a positive way and not through pain. So connecting through positivity and evolving new relationships with their loved ones who are absent um, in other ways besides pain. So those are three really, really big themes. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Um, Jennifer, can you say again the name of the person who who has the unsh the shattered three of shattered assumptions? I always feel like I mispronounce her name. Ronnie Janoff Bullman, B U L M A N. Okay, thank you. I just yes. wanted to make sure people got that reference. Yes, yes. And I have a like I said, I can't remember if it's uh, my uh, episode three or four of my podcast is all devoted to the theory of shattered assumptions in a sudden and unexpected death, because that's not everything it applies to. But um, yeah, it's just a brilliant, um, it's a brilliant theory. Right. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So now, um, what's the difference between working with an adult or a child who's suffered traumatic grief? Oh, my gosh, this is such a big question. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> so um, I'll start off by saying it depends on the relationship of the person who died and the age of the child. Okay. So with that caveat, um, let me say that, number one, children differ in their ability to conceptually um, understand the meaning of death. And I've done a lot of training on that. Um, and I'll just say generally about the ages of six to eight, depending on the child, is when children 
um, develop a conceptual understanding of what it means to die. And there are four things that kids have to uh, be able to understand. Um, and I'm going to forget them if I try, but I will know that it's universal, that all living things die, uh, that there's a physical cause to death. Uh, something in our body doesn't work. It's irreversible. And it's, I'm going to forget the fourth one. I know I knew it because uh, I wasn't prepared for that. But there's four things that kids have to be able to get it. And it's really hard because in our cartoons and our movies, uh, our characters come back to life, all of that type of stuff. But they have to be able to understand that things. Okay. Second, it's just classified in the literature. Whenever a parent dies, it's a traumatic death for a child. We, we just It's just labeled that way. Okay. So important to know that children grieve differently than adults. All right. Uh, children go in and out of grief where adults were just kind of in it. Um, I've been in the room many times with families and kids when a child is told about the death of a parent. I was in the room with a, uh, uh, a mom who told her kids that must have been seven and 10 that their father had killed himself. And um, the seven-year-old said, okay, are we still going to go camping this weekend? And that is a um, exactly how kids think. Um, so they go in and out, in and out. Parents panic and call all of the time, is my child not grieving right? Um, and we judge because we think our kids are supposed to grieve in a certain manner. They're supposed to go in and out and in and out. They're also very resilient by nature um, in terms of grief. Kids struggle more with milestones, birthdays, first days of school, um, uh, father-daughter dances, things like that, where the parents, and I'm using parent as an example right now and not a grandparent because we could get into every scenario of the world, um, where the parental figure or the the person is supposed to be there. Whereas an adult might go, my loved one's been dead for 73 days. Um, so we count time differently. Um, I will say problems with grief, struggles with kids show up with problems with their friends. That's where you know a child is struggling, interactions with their friends, acting out problems, academic problems, Engaging in risky behaviors is big. Um, and you might see, obviously, um, you know, alcohol increased uh, SI, suicidal in the, um, ideations. And, um, but it's very common for them to pull back from their family because that's as, especially as, as kids get older. So, without very specific questions, that's about as good of a generalization as I can give you because kids are just a whole phenomenon on their own. And it's really going to differ by age group. Well, thanks though. That's at least now we know what to look for. And yeah, yeah. so thanks. Yeah, I do a lot of training on kids. So I'm happy to talk more about kids anytime. So. Thank you. That was really important and some really I mean, everything makes sense, but it's useful to hear kind of clustered together in an overview like that. And of course, they're always individual, but yeah. Um, let's actually move it to more to the direction of the practitioner. Okay. Yeah. 
So um, I know that your experience, like your skill set is not EFT, which many people listening are, and that's okay, because I think it's really important that we hear from different perspectives, not just from within our own universe, so to speak. So from your point of view, what should a practitioner's priorities be when working with somebody that's grieving? What are some of the tenets, um, whether you're doing CBT, EFT, TFT, I mean, whatever you're doing, still some of the tenets that should um, a practitioner should strive for, um, including and integrating into their work when working with somebody that's dealing with traumatic grief. Absolutely. Well, I think there's a lot of overlay. And the first thing is, number one, you just want to establish that safe relationship with your client, that safe space, um, that your grief is safe with me, um, non-judgmental, um, you can hold it. I've had clients come to me and I used to supervise a, a team of um, clinicians who were getting their hours. And I had a uh, clinician say that they've come to this space because their previous practitioner couldn't handle it, was crying or didn't know how to be with their grief. And so just like, yes, this is a safe space. Um, and, and you know that, you know, sometimes it's been shown treatment modality isn't as important as the relationship between um, the practitioner and the client. So just being there unconditionally on the relationship, um, validating the pain and their story. Um, I think I mentioned earlier, friends and family get tired um, so much sometimes about hearing about it. Um, and I may hear the same thing over and over and over and over again. And it just needs to be said and expressed. Um, that pain needs to be, it just needs to keep coming and being a place to do that. Um, I get um, so much things of like, um, oh my goodness, I think I'm going crazy. Um, and um, oh my goodness, I think this is going on. And so being able to listen deeply hear it, be okay with it, um, and, um, you know, saying, no, you're not. Um, grief is so interesting because it's so unique, and yet there are commonalities. So everybody's experience is so, so, so different, and yet there are similarities. Like, no, 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 you're not crazy. No, this is okay. Um, and so being able to just give that no this is okay this is okay and hear every um every story and um providing you know I, I call it reflective listening normalization um validation all of that type of thing um and reassuring that what you're going through is okay um so um providing psychoeducation um when um when appropriate you know they'll come in with with questions um i do think if this is an area when you see yourself like i want to work with some grieving clients it is beneficial to take a basic class or do some reading um if you're going to use some eft and see grieving clients um you don't need to be an expert but basic psychoeducation is is good um, and, um, you know, just knowing, you know, grief uh, is not an illness. 
it's it's a normal human experience. Um, and um, I do a lot of grief education to people so that they know some some basic things. I mean, the techniques that we learn are what we study, but knowing basics about grief as a human experience, I think is important. So yeah, I, I'd like to just add, and, and Suzanne, just uh, with you and I for a second, bringing in the tapping perspective from a from an EFT practitioner. Um, many of the things that you said are very useful to be able to anticipate or explain briefly the different types of triggers, for example, and normalizing. But ultimately, you know, um, we have both EFT practitioners that are licensed and unlicensed. And, and you're speaking through the lens of a licensed practitioner and for, for a coach or a non-mental health care provider, the information is still very useful to ask questions about, you know, to inquire into it. And, um, you know, I'd say one of the biggest things that needs to be discussed is what we call the secondary gain psychological reversals aspect, which is such an important piece of, if I tap away or I get rid of my grief, then somehow I'm going to lose the connection with this person. It's a huge fear that comes up that this sadness, this grieving, this feelings of loss, that if I get rid of that, I will no longer, you know, th there's this break in connection that they fear might happen. Can you just maybe speak to that? Because I I'm sure it's, you know, you already mentioned it. And as a tapping practitioner, it's really important because what it, we're not tapping to make the grief go away. No. We're tapping, we're working with them to, given your grief, how can you still um, move through whatever it takes to connect with others, if move that feels forward. like something you desire, how to be able to move forward with that grief until it's no longer there. Um, so I just want to, either Suzanne, if you want to offer something, or, or Jennifer about that, just related to that. Anything else? Well, I mean, that's it. And the goal is the same, to move forward and to put the grief in a place within yourself that doesn't stop you from moving forward and that allows you to move forward in your life. And I did that to that um, thing, though, I do think it's always very helpful, no matter what modality you're working with, to have a basic understanding of the foundations of grief. Mm-hmm. Mm because you need to kind of know what the territory looks like in order to be able to, first of all, get a good sense of maybe where we're going, working with the client and not to anticipate it or you know, put it on our brain. Now we have to work through this and this and this, but to at least be aware so that when somebody says something, you can go, oh, okay, got it. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe this is a, something we need to explore a little further. Yeah. So for those people who might be interested in learning more, the theory of continuing bonds is something I do a lot um, with, which is on taking the relationship that exists um, with your loved one and building it more. Um, and so um, I have, a, for example, a, I have a, somebody who is building, is, there's a lot that's been done, especially with a parent-child relationship and how that relationship continues or can and continue to evolve in death and so how you continue to uh, maintain shared interests um, and things what can you do to um, 
to strengthen that relationship or, you know, so it's just, I mean, there are different things that you can do in terms of if you're interested in that to read on that theory of continuing bonds. And so how do you take that negative, the, 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 the pain you're experiencing and work on through the EFT, um, decreasing that, but then what could you do to build positively with that relationship? So having some background on that would be for somebody who is interested in working with clients who are grieving and giving them some information on, um, you know, transforming their relationship in a new way. That, so. that really goes to kind of my next question about those that are grieving, you know, it's, We'll just look at the time for a moment. It's one thing with somebody within the first year, let's say. Mm -hmm. But for those that are grieving and still really affecting their lives 10, 15, 20, 30 years later, how is that different? How do you work with that? And part of that might be transforming it into what you just said, which, you know, I have thoughts, not on EFT, matrix reimprinting, of starting to see what would it look like to have a transformed relationship, but for whatever reason, they haven't been able to move through those stages. Anything that really has to do with those long-term grieving processes that you might address? Well, so grief has absolutely no timeline. Absolutely. I mean, I have somebody who's just started treatment who experienced a death five years ago. And so there's, you know, delayed grief, meaning like I've been focusing on the kids and I haven't gotten to my grief. And so I'm just now ready. And so if somebody's just now ready, I would start with what I just mentioned to you. You start with the relationship. You would do everything that we just talked about because for five years, they have put their grief in a box and um, delayed it, repressed it. And something I always say, it's going to come and get you sooner or later, whether it be in a health problem or a relationship problem, sooner or later, it's going to come and, and, and bite you. And so if someone's delayed or repressed it, you're going to start just like you would on day one. Then you have the people who have been in treatment and who are basically stuck, for lack of a better term, in their grief. Um, and that's where that whole prolonged grief disorder um, is coming in and um, that um, the DSM is now covering. And that can be because there were complications in the relationship or complications in the grief. And um, you, so are you, you're asking how would I work with that differently? Or let me just understand your question a little bit better. I think I lost you for a moment. No, I, I mean, I think that what you're saying is not necessarily any differently. You're going to take with how they're presenting yep. and it's going to be as individual. I was just wondering if there was yep. anything unique for something that's, that's delayed, uh, even just that you mentioned delayed grief, which yep. could be months or years because all I've been able to is focusing on getting the kids out of the house and now I'm dealing with. So there are all different reasons that it could be prolonged. Right. Um, that being one insight that's useful. Well, usually when, yeah, and, but usually when people are stuck, I find it's because there's a particular narrative that they are telling themselves or a story that they're stuck on or a belief that is causing them to be stuck. And um, it's usually pretty easy to identify what that is, but the the difficult thing is to see if they're open to rewriting that narrative. Mm -hmm. You know, I have a belief that it was all my fault 
that this happened? Mm. And is there room or are they open to rewriting that or to challenging it and believing something different? Mm-hmm. If there's no room, they're going to stay stuck. Mm-hmm. If there is room, and usually in a case like that, I will say, well, what if we looked at, would you be open to rewriting or, or looking at five different narratives and seeing if I can, well, I'm not saying your narrative is not the what the correct one, but could we maybe come up with five different other ways to look at it just to see if we can open them to look at something different, but that's usually what's going on. Okay. So along that same kind of idea, I guess, what might be some of the considerations or circumstances that would indicate the need for a referral to a professional who specializes in traumatic grief work? Now for EFT people, Partly that may be a difference between whether you're a coach or you're licensed and doing EFG, but what might show up in the client's original presentation or emerges during the work that would indicate the need for referral? Yeah, yeah. Well, first and foremost, um, is always like, um, you know, suicidal ideation, self-harm, um, high-risk behaviors, um, uh, just like, okay, um, we need to escalate to a higher level here is my first thing. Uh, signs of uh, PTSD, uh, you know, that we need to get a specialist involved. And usually um, for me, even um, just a gut feeling, I am out of my zone. I just really rely. I, I have I have a good relationship with my gut. <laughs> and just like nope I'm out of my zone um definitely you know for practitioners who are new in the field you know when it's when safety comes up you know unfortunately or fortunately um I've worked with enough clients who come in and say I just want to die and be with my person um and I don't panic right away you know, I, I can hear that out, do my assessment at the end and, and understand where they're at. Um, but, um, but I, 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 when my gut says, no, this, you're not the right person. There's something different here that's needed. Um, I listen to that. And so I just encourage anyone to develop that relationship with their gut of, you know, or and get consultation. Yeah. Um, another um EFT professional like am I, I, love, I, I love I love actually that line that you just said because there's always shades of gray. Yeah. One person says, I just want to die and be with them, and it's emotionally intense moment. It is what they're experiencing in the moment, but it's not necessarily that they have a true and somebody else can be in a very, very different place. Mm-hmm. And um, and being able to ask skillful questions and explore that with them to find out um, whether this is the right place for them is, is so incredibly critical for the well-being of both parties. Yes. Well, and one other aspect occurs to me too, and that's that um, have you, or do you have unresolved grief work? You know, is your own unresolved grief work going to get in the way of your working with this client, either because it's a similar type of grief or 
uh, beautiful. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't think of putting that on that. That is great. Is this, is this pushing your buttons mm -hmm. and your uh, excellent? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. This has been really, really helpful and enlightening. So thank you. Uh, I want to ask for those people, of course, that are, want to take it deeper, that want to know more, that are called to this. Wait, I'm Greg, just wondering. Can we do yeah. one more quick question, please? We I can, can go a couple I minutes mean, over. I think we've sort of answered it, but what is the importance of having an other person facilitating grief work healing as opposed to you trying to do it yourself? So when you're in this much pain and your emotions are dysregulated, um, you're overwhelmed mm -hmm. and it's so easy to get lost mm -hmm. and to have somebody say, hey, this way, um, let, let me guide you. I The thing I say to my clients all of the time is you are driving this bus. That is my line. You are driving this bus. I am sitting in the seat here and I'm providing you with options. And so, um, but I've driven on this road before. And so, I know the terrain. And so when you're the other, you know the terrain. Um, your client is empowered. You should always be empowering your client to do their work. You should never be working harder than your client. Um, it took me a while to learn that. <laughs> a little too long sometimes. Um, never working harder than your client. But when they're in a lot of pain, and um, knowing that, you know, you can ask the questions and you can provide the guidance. And when you see them slipping, you can give that extra hand, um, I think is really powerful rather than, um, you know, when you're, you know, I've been lost before and somebody else gave me that hand. And so um, when you get to be that other and give that hand, I think is a pretty, um, a great experience. I like your metaphor of the bus driver who's driven the road before. Mm -hmm. Thank you, yeah. Craig. Yeah. So just getting back to uh, people that are interested in whether um, people are dealing with their own grief or wanting to become more skillful and working with others, what might what might be some resources that you have or would like to offer or let people know about? Yeah. So um, I'm in the middle of starting some new things. And one is a um, continuing education program, um, which actually you don't have to take for continuing education, but I'm uh, launching some professional education in grief. Uh, I have a be starting a general grief course and then um, with some specialty workshops. And um, if you're interested in that, um, do I just give an email address or what's the best thing? Or um, you, you decide how you would like people to contact you. I'll so. just do my email because my uh, website, uh, the sign up won't be up for about a month. But if you're interested in that, um, you can email. Yeah, why, why don't you give both? Because the timing of when they watch this interview, your website might have everything updated by then. So why don't you just give both? Okay. So I'm um, going to give you two sets of information for that. So my email is um, and Jennifer, J-E-N-N-I-F-E-R, at Therapy Heals, uh, T-H-E-R-A-P-Y, um, Heals, H-E-A-L-S.com. And then my website is um, TherapyHeals.com. 
And then if you have experienced a uh, sudden death and are interested in an online course, that would be at my website um, from grief to growth.com. And if you have any general questions, you're welcome to email me at jennifer at therapyheals.com. So awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. And then just lastly, to just remind people, you know, we're, we're blessed to have people like Jennifer and, and so many others that um, interviews that we've gotten to do every single year for the last 10 years. It's really been quite broad and delightful. And, and you can find those on, um, on the website of tappingoutoftrauma.com for our past interviews. But um, we just also want to mention our upcoming um, cohort is coming up starting March 5th and uh, tapping out of traumas that online eight week online course, which is a hybrid course of both pre-recorded modules and live modules and, and um, uh, online forum. And, and that's um, moderated by Suzanne and myself. And it's a very rich, intense course for, you know, for the EFT practitioner that has a beginning insight into trauma, but is really working to be a more skillful trauma informed practitioner. So again, just tapping out of trauma.com and you'll see the registration for starting on March 5th and any information you have there, you can check out the FAQs on that as well. So we just want to thank everybody that took the time, whether um, live today or following up to check in with this and learn. Suzanne, did you want to add something? Yeah, well, I just want to ask Jennifer one more question. Do you work online at all or is it only in person? All online. Okay, there we go. So just so for folks to know. And yes, thank you so much. This has been very rich and wonderful. And we thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been my pleasure. It's I just know that this is going to be a topic that many people are going to be really happy to be more informed about. Thank you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. There are so many different treatment modalities available to help individuals who are living with the pain of an unexpected death. Emotional freedom techniques such as tapping may be a technique you might want to explore. To learn more about EFT Tapping and the Training Institute, you can visit EFTTappingTraining.com or visit our Facebook page, which is talking about the podcast Untethered with Dr. Levin. Our next podcast will be on March 15th, and it will be an anonymous interview with a young woman who experienced the death of her partner from alcoholism. She has asked that both her and her partner's identity remain anonymous for family privacy and because the stigma that often surrounds death related to addiction is very harmful and painful for families. Thank you so much for joining today's episode of Untethered, Healing the Pain After a Sudden Death. For help with a sudden and unexpected loss, please sign up for my free mini course where I will teach you about the three truths with living with a sudden and unexpected death. Please visit my website, www.fromgrieftogrowth.com to sign up. Bye for now. Thank you for listening today. Be sure to subscribe to my podcast so you never miss an episode. For help with a sudden and unexpected loss, sign up for my free mini course where I will teach you the three truths about living 
with a sudden and unexpected loss. Please visit www.fromgrieftogrowth.com to sign up.